Last time on the Skip and Josh podcast. I was having heart palpitations when the LA Rams were doing everything in their power to lose to Tampa Bay. And I had to turn that game off because I couldn't watch that and waited till you told me it was over. But other than that, everything has been fine. You were so paranoid that even when I told you it was over, you wrote back saying, is it really over? Yeah, because I didn't believe you. You're listening to the Skip and Josh podcast with Skip Sherman and Josh Obadia. Okay, Skip, so today we're going to count down our favorite albums from the 80s. And some listeners may be thinking, didn't they already do that topic? And actually, we didn't. We did favorite albums from the 90s and we did favorite movies from the 80s, but we have not done favorite albums from the 80s. So that's what we're doing today. Before we get to that, thanks to you notifying me a few weeks ago that Ozark Season 4 is now available on Netflix, I started watching it this week. But I actually, because it's been so long, what I did was I went back and I watched the last episode of Season 3 before because I don't remember anything that happened in that show. And it's a good thing I did because as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh yeah, there's this character and there's that character and that happened and this happened. So thank goodness I did that. Anyway, I've only, I'm only in, I'm only one episode in, so I don't know if you've started watching it. I finished season four so far. Okay. Don't, don't tell me anything. I guess we're calling it season four part one. Cause I think. Correct. There's technically not going to be season five. It's going to be season four part two. Correct. But. Um, yeah, I finished it all. And actually you, you, you kind of need to go back because like you said last time, it's been so long since season three and you actually need to go back and watch more than just the last episode of season three. There's, there's stuff that's happening in season four where I'm like, do you remember? I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, do you remember this guy and that one? And what happened here? And who was that? And I was like, I can't remember. I can't remember anything, <laughs> you know, but okay. No spoilers. Like, I don't want to give any spoilers. Like, no, certainly not for me. I don't care about our listeners, but I don't want you to spoil it for me. Season four is great. It's picks up right where everything it's, it's exactly what you expect from Ozark, you know, and, um, it's a must watch for, for, for anybody. That's for sure. I wanted to just ask you your thoughts about the major league baseball hall of fame voting. Oh, that's right. I should have known you were going to ask me about this. Um, well, I wasn't really surprised that um that that uh Bonds didn't get in and Clemens didn't get in and Schilling didn't get in. Actually, I guess I was a little surprised that that Ortiz did get in so quickly. That was probably the only surprise. So, but here's the thing. So, first of all, I have a question for you. He was the only one that was voted in. Does that mean at the next induction ceremony, it's going to be just him? Um I well, there's there's like the Veterans Committee. I don't know. It has another name now. I right. still call it the Veterans Committee. Right. So I guess the Veterans Committee could still vote in some other people, but not Clemens and and right and older guys. These people, older guys. So I guess there's a chance that like some some older player could get voted in. But um, yeah, right now it's just Ortiz. I mean, he definitely deserved to get in. But like you said, sometimes first first try is not automatic. Right. Although he definitely has the credentials, like there's no doubt about it. Yes, he had a lot of home runs, but he was a DH, and so you know he's only really playing half the time, and he has been linked to steroids as well or performance enhancing drugs, I should say. Well, his link to steroids is very thin. It's uh, that's true. It's some very very circumstantial stuff that that's been MLB themselves said is completely 
untrue. But who knows? I mean, who the hell knows? The thing that got me this week is that, like, all of a sudden, this outrage over Bonds and Clemens not being in the Hall of Fame, and, like, how could you have a Hall of Fame without without the, the best, maybe the best right-handed pitcher of all time and without the best hitter of all time? And, and that's all true. That's 100% true. But, like, the outrage just, like, of people just, like, shocked me. It was like, this has been going on for five years. Like, how many years have they been on the ballot? Like, Ten everybody years, knew this. Yeah, everybody knew this was coming. Everybody knew exactly what was going to happen. It wasn't a secret. Half the ballots are already revealed because there's enough people that um, that uh, that um, make, make their, their ballot votes public. Exactly, they make their they they let their ballot be public, and there's websites that calculate and they tell you exactly what's going to happen. They know. They can see who's left. They can see who's not left. They they make a very 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 extremely educated guess. <laughs> that's that's pretty accurate about what's going to happen. And and everybody knew that they weren't going to get in. So like all of a sudden now people are pounding their fists and like, oh my God, Barry Bonds are the same people that five years ago didn't care less. You know, like it's really, really stupid. Um, do I care? Like, honestly, when they let Harold Baines in the Hall of Fame, no offense to Harold Baines, perfectly fine player, but like, that's like, people should have been outraged then. <laughs> About, like, how could you have a Hall of Fame without Clemens and Bonds in the Hall of Fame? Well, how could you have a Hall of Fame with Harold Baines in the Hall of Fame? Like, the guy was just a really good player, but not. Right, and he was one of those guys that got in because of the whatever we call it. We call it the Veterans Committee, but it's something else. And I think Ted Simmons went in the same day as Harold Baines. Exactly. And so this is what I wanted to say to you because you always said to me many years ago that. The Baseball Hall of Fame is really the only legitimate Hall of Fame of all the sports because it actually is difficult to get into that Hall of Fame, whereas the others, it's a little bit easier. But now, with this Veterans Committee, it's not as difficult to get in anymore. I was going to say exactly, not anymore. They lowered the standard. I mean, people are freaking out that Scott Rowland didn't get in. Scott freaking Rowland. This guy's not a Hall of Famer. I don't care how many how many ways you slice his career stats and how many you look at all the advanced stats and war and all this stuff. Scott Rowland is not a Hall of Famer. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's just not. I'm in agreement there. So so all that to say is that's not going to stop me from going to visit the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's still an amazing place to go visit. It's still an awesome place to see. The plaques, everything. Like... What people have to remember is the Hall of Fame is a museum. It's a museum. It's supposed to be showing you the history of baseball, you know? So go and enjoy it, you know? Like, you can still go enjoy the Hall of Fame just because Barry Bonds doesn't have a plaque there, you know? And two recommendations if you do go. Don't go during induction weekend because it's just too busy and too crowded. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is make sure while you're in Cooperstown to get some fudge. I love it. I love it. Big fudge endorsement. Yes. <laughs> mailbag. All right. So on to the mailbag. We got such a great response from our last episode, which was, was our guilty pleasure songs. Um, my sister, Stephanie, sent me a message saying that uh, she thought we were hysterical and she loved the episode. Thank you, Stephanie. She said that she has drunken love on her playlist and also has the song Airplanes nice. <laughs> on her playlist. Um, or some of her guilty pleasure songs are Ride Like the Wind by Christopher Cross, <laughs> Spice Up Your Life by the Spice Girls, and Pil- Poison by Belle Biv DeVoe. Ooh, I like that song. Yeah, we're encouraging people to, our listeners, to, to um, you know, shed their shed their inhibitions and and tell us their guilty pleasure songs. It's great. It's actually a very therapeutic episode for us and the listeners. 
Exactly. So uh, our good pal Jesse from Texas gave us his list, which was, uh, well, he gave me a whole list. I'm just giving you the highlights. Daydream Believer by the Monkees. And uh, Let It Go by Indina Menzel from the uh, soundtrack of Frozen. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. And De- Jesse is so dedicated. Like, he's such a dedicated listener. He actually sent us a list for a topic that we haven't even done yet. Like, he sent us his <laughs> he sent us his list of shows that were canceled too soon. We, we just loosely talked about this as a possible topic. And bam, I get an email from Jesse. Here's my solo shows that were canceled too soon. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, our newer, newest uh, listener, well, I don't know how long she's been listening, but she just started to write to us, Natalie, here in Pierrefonds, said that uh, she praised George Michael as an incredible musical talent and encouraged me to listen to several of his albums. And uh, she loved every song on my list except for Beyonce, and she made to, in- to include the barf emoji next to that. So Okay. <laughs> And my wife had a bone to pick with you when she heard your list. She's like, how could Josh have not had Debbie Gibson on his list? He goes, I know for a fact that he likes Debbie Gibson. That's not, he, she says it's not right. So. Okay, so so I will answer that because yes, I actually have the album out of the blue, the vinyl album of, of, of that album. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not on my phone. That's the thing. It's very hard to right. transfer vinyl albums to a phone. So, in fact, I don't even think it's possible. So, this is why most of my songs, actually all my songs, were, you know, 2010 or more recent than that. Because I do actually have a lot of stuff, Guilty Pleasures, from the 80s that I, I mean, you know, one day maybe I'll figure out a way to get them onto my phone. But they're not on my phone right now. And those were the rules for that episode. So, that's why Debbie Gibson's not there. Very good. So we're talking about Debbie Gibson, which is a perfect segue into our favorite albums of the 80s. Like, I don't think Debbie Gibson's going to be on your list. I know she's not on mine, <laughs> but you never know. <laughs> so tell me, like, how did you make your list? Tell me, like, how you went through it. How do, how do you feel about your list? Uh, like, how do you feel this is going to go? I have some strong thoughts on myself, so but I'll let you go first. So first of all, I thought this was going to be easier than it ended up being because the pool of albums to choose from in the 80s for me at least is not as large as it was for the 90s because you know I have so many CDs from the 90s I think I might have four CDs from the 80s maybe most of my 80s stuff is either on cassette tape or vinyl Um, and I you know obviously I didn't have as much disposable income when I was that age so I didn't buy as many albums so I thought you know the pool to choose from isn't that large this should be quite easy. But then as I started doing research, I'm like, uh-oh, I've got like 20 albums here. I got to get it down to seven. That's going to be a problem. So obviously I got it down to seven eventually. And then there was the ranking, which was not as easy as you might think it was to rank. Like the top five, I could have flipped them completely upside down if you want. I almost didn't want to rank them. Like I arrived at my top seven, like, but like I arrived at seven my best seven, but I almost like felt weird in ranking them. I mean, I came up with a ranking, but yeah, it's a bit unfair. And the ranking, like if you ask me again in, in like three months, maybe it'll change, right? The, the 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 albums won't change, but the ranking could. Right. I mean, if yeah. you ask me, you know, an hour later, it could change. Yeah. So, so I told you right before we were recording, like, we we're like, I'm like, how's your list? You're like, oh, my list is great. And you said, how's my list? And I said, 
my list is bulletproof. Like I've I've never felt <laughs> I've never felt so good about one of my lists. It's so strong. Every album on this list is so strong, and I and I feel passionate about every one of these albums. So, um, like you said, like well, the '80s, like. I wanted to just go over a little bit of the criteria that we kind of talked about a little bit. So we, we agreed on no live albums and no compilations. I think that's a no brainer, right? Right. Okay. Um, I tried to look at like albums as a whole. So the album has to be really strong start to finish, you know, on, I think almost every single one of my albums, you could listen to it from start to finish without skipping any songs. They're that, they're all that strong. Um, and the hard part was trying to balance, like, are these albums albums that you loved then in the 80s? Or are they albums that you love now? Or is it both? You know, it's really hard to sort of balance that those, those two things, like, in my mind, you know, when doing this. And I, I think I've done a pretty good job of it. So, I don't know. I really feel great about my, my choices. That's great. So another challenge I had was I have a few 80s albums on vinyl where mm. there's one really amazing song that I used to love and and still like now, but with only one good song on the album, I felt like I can't I can't justify putting this on the list. You need to have at least 3 good songs to get onto the list. Actually, at least 4, let's say. Well, whatever, mm. let's say 3. Yeah. Well, in my case, it's like even more than three or four. It's like, I really looked at like every song better be good almost in most cases. Right. So, so there's a few that I left off the list that I'm very upset about because Mm -hmm. they deserve some recognition, but they just, you know, if I have, if I had to narrow it down to seven, you know, these albums just don't make the cut. Right. Do you want to talk about your honorable mentions? I'm going to list mine, but I'll let you talk about them if you want. Well, there's a, you know, Love Over Gold by Dire Straits. Freeze Frame by the Jay Giles Band, uh, Diesel and Dust by Midnight Oil, Cargo by Men at Work, Seven and the Ragged Tiger by Duran Duran, The oh Lion my. and the Cobra by Sinead O'Connor, which, by the way, that, I think, was the first ever CD that I purchased in my life. Uh, Ravel and Hum by U2, Indigo Girls, their self-titled album, Asia, their self-titled album. Nice, that's a good one. Yeah. So some of the albums that didn't make it for me, uh, Tears for Fears, Songs from the Big Chair, The Traveling Wilburys, Volume 1, Lenny Kravitz, Let Love Rule, Jeff Healy Band, See the Light, The Alarm, Strength, Don Henley, End of the Innocence, Dire Straits, Brothers in Arms, Huey Lewis, Sports, and then here's one that I know is going to be in your top seven, but it didn't make it into my seven. It would be number eight. It's the Tragically Hip up to here. <laughs> You're so confident that it's in my list. I love that. Well, you talked about it, like, what, two episodes ago, maybe? So, I mean, when I was looking at The Tragedy Hip, and I was like, did they even have albums in the 80s? And then this one was 89, right? Right. It just barely made it. Yeah. So it qualifies. It qualifies, (laughs) yeah. Number seven. Okay, so here we go. Number seven for me is Business as Usual by Men at Work. So Men at Work, they're an Australian rock band formed in 1978. Business as Usual came out in 1982, and it's got the hits that you probably know who can it be now down under and be good Johnny and a bunch of other good songs too that you may not have heard of but I was a huge men at work fan so I also like their other album I mentioned in my honorable mentions cargo but this one is better than that one so that's my number seven 
you really you really took the uh, the topic to heart. You know, you went to the eighties. You you put yourself into twelve year old Josh frame of mind and and said, yeah, I really love Men at Work, so it's going to be there. That, that's that's very cool. I've got number seven on my list. It's the album So by Peter Gabriel, which came out in 1986. Every single person in the planet knows this album. <laughs> this is the album with Sledgehammer, In Your Eyes, Big Time, Red Rain, you know, all those songs. And um, so this was Peter Gabriel's fifth solo album after he left Genesis. Some people would say, I mean, it's obviously his most famous album. It's the album that changed him from like a star to like a superstar, really. Um, and I mean, like I said in my in my lead up to this, like this is an album that you can just listen to from start to finish and every single song is amazing. And, you know, obviously like, you know, In Your Eyes, it was used in the movie Say Anything. It got even more popular. It's just a great album. Peter Gable's a great artist. I actually prefer his his next album after this, which was Us, um, but that was in the 90s, so obviously I couldn't put it here. Excellent pick. Number six. Number six for me is Back in the High Life by Steve Winwood. I remember listening to this on cassette tape over and over and over again. I think I might have even ripped the cassette because I listened to it so many times. So Steve Winwood is British. And the album came out in 1986, and you'll recognize some of these songs, Higher Love, Freedom Over Spill, Back in the High Life Again, and a very underrated song called The Finer Things, which I don't know if that ever made it to the radio, but if you owned the album or the cassette tape, you know that it's a good song. So I really like Steve Winwood. That's a great pick. It should have been in my honorable mentions. I don't know how I kind of let that slide, but yeah, that's really a great pick. And that's an album like synonymous with the 80s, you know, like that's really, really great choice. Thanks. Number six for me is, um, well, it's an album that we mentioned a couple times recently. That's Joe Jackson. And the album is Night and Day, which came out in 82. Um, now, I did not listen to Joe Jackson in 1982 when I was 12. <laughs> I, I didn't. I discovered Joe Jackson later on when I was in my later teens, um, mostly because he has a live album that came out in 1986 called Live 80 to 86, which has all his great songs. Um, but um, Night and Day is really quite a bit. It's like pretty much like a masterpiece. It's really an album that kind of propelled him onto the charts with the song Stepping Out. And um, it's just a great album through and through. I mean, it has songs that everybody knows. I don't know. If, well, not everybody. Joe Jackson fans know, you know, Breaking Us in Two. And then on the best Joe Jackson song, which is a slow song, um, that's on there. So. That's Joe Jackson. Excellent pick. Number five. So number five for me is, no surprise, The Joshua Tree by a band 
from Ireland. You may have heard of them. They're called U2. They were formed in the 70s, but the Joshua Tree came out in 1987. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, I think this was the most popular album in my entire high school life. Everyone was talking about it. I even went to see the the concert. That was the first concert I ever went to, the Joshua Tree Tour. It was at Olympic Stadium in Montreal, which is a terrible place to see a concert. But of course, I was very excited because it was my first concert. And, you know, I'm going to name some of the songs on the album. With or Without You, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For, Where the Streets Have No Name, In God's Country, and One Tree Hill, which is also a television show, or was, (laughs) um, but no relation whatsoever. So yeah, that's my number five, The Joshua Tree. Also, my name is in the title of the album, so, you know. Bonus. So you know how this always happens, but number five for me is also The Joshua Tree. Nice. (laughs) Um, Look, it's, it's, like you said, it was... Maybe the most popular, I, I mean, we can look at all the, the stats and the sales, but like, it's certainly one of the most popular albums of the 80s, in, of the entirety of the 80s. Um, it was like, I looked it up earlier, it topped the charts in like 20 different countries. Uh, it was the fastest selling album in the history of British music. Um, and like, like I said, sort of a Peter Gabriel, it, it, it turned you two from like stars into real superstars. Right, like this elevated you two into like another level, right? Um, uh, I, I like you said. I remember, like, I wasn't like a fan of you two in '87 when this came out. I knew who you two was. I knew some of their other songs, but this, they didn't get a lot of radio play. And I had some friends that liked them, so I was aware of some of their songs. And then this album came out, and I remember my friend. Well, you know our friend of the show, Mark in Philadelphia. Yep. I was on the phone with him and his brother, I, I, I have vivid memory of this. I was on the phone with him and his brother comes into his room. He has an older brother, five years older than us. Yes, yes, I know. And and his brother came into his room and he's like, I just got the U2's Joshua Tree. This is going to be like the greatest album. Like this is going to be huge. And me and Mark were like, what? <laughs> like, I, like, like I just didn't think of U2 as like in that way yet. And then obviously like everything changed, right? Like all the songs you mentioned and, uh, you know. And you know how we talked about like slow build songs, songs that build up to like a crescendo, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Where the Streets Have No Name is easily, easily the greatest opening to any song. Like the way it builds up, it's like I just, anytime that song comes on, if I'm in the car or if I'm listening to music with my headphones in, it's like I'm just blasting blasting it to the, in the lead up. So that's the Joshua Tree. know like from the first note you know that you know oh this is you know you know what it is you're so excited to hear it and you just let it play it's great 
That's it. That's it. Number four. So number four, this is the actually the second Australian band on my list. They're called In Excess. Originally, they were called the Farris Brothers because two of the members are brothers, but um, changed their name to In Excess. And the album is Kick, which was released in 1987. So I'm pretty sure you were not an In Excess fan. I was. And just to list you some of the great songs on this album, Need You Tonight, Devil Inside, New Sensation, Never Tear Us Apart, and Mystify. And I mean, there's others. I'm not naming the rest. But mm-hmm. those were the, the, the best songs on the album. I don't remember if I ever saw them live in concert, to be honest. I do remember... I think I have the cassette tape somewhere at my dad's house, but um, this was one of those great tapes that I listened to over and over and over again. I, I was standing, you were there, two worlds collided. certainly like an iconic album of the 80s like like you said i wasn't like a huge in excess fan but like i like the music when i heard it you know but yeah good choice definitely good choice so um what kind of list of the albums of the 80s could i make without including bruce springsteen josh how is it possible i was just wondering if there was going to be multiple bruce springsteen albums on your list well, I, I, I reined myself in and I decided I was only going to include one Bruce Springsteen album on this list. Bruce Springsteen had four albums in the 80s, right? So The River actually came out in 1980. Then there's Nebraska, Born in the USA, and then Tunnel of Love. So those are all great albums in their own right. You know, some people think The River's maybe Bruce's best album. Some people think that of Nebraska. Um, most Bruce Springsteen fans agree Tunnel of Love is extremely underrated. Um, but I mean, you can't make a list of albums of the eighties without born in the USA. Like it's not my favorite Bruce Springsteen album. It's not, not by a long shot, but look, our friend Jesse, who I mentioned earlier, who does a Bruce Springsteen podcast often says to his guests that born in the USA is like the gateway drug (laughs) of Bruce Springsteen. It's what gets you it's what gets you hooked and then you find the rest of the catalog, right? Because, I mean, this album had seven top 10 singles. <laughs> Think about that. That's right? not normal. Like, and I was telling my wife when she was asking me what albums are going to be on your list and I was telling her, I was like, there is no Bruce Springsteen as we know him today in this superstar status without Born in the USA. Like, there, he, he doesn't exist in our minds in the same way, right? I mean, it's just, it was such an iconic album. Obviously, the album cover, you know, with the red, white, and blue and the jeans and the baseball cap and everything. It's also one of the most under, misunderstood albums and songs ever because it's not a patriotic album and song at all. Like, the song Born in the USA is, is a protest song about Vietnam veterans, despite what people think it means, right? Um, I mean, there's just Born in the USA, Dancing in the Dark, Glory Days, My Hometown, Bobby Jean. That's just half the songs and they're all hits and um yeah so that's bruce born in usa 1984 I'm glad you mentioned the album cover because that album cover and the album cover for 
Kick by NXS and the album cover for The Joshua Tree by U2, those are three of the most iconic album covers, in my opinion, because you see a picture of the album cover, even if you don't see the name of the band or the name of the album, you know what it is right away. Absolutely. I was going to say the same thing. Like, I I, I was going to say, like, if the NXS album cover is also very iconic, right? Number three. So you've already mentioned this one earlier in your list. It's So by Peter Gabriel. So another British musician on my list. And of course, he used to be in the band Genesis and went and did his own solo career. And as you mentioned, this album was his fifth solo album. It was released in 86. And I don't know if you listed all these songs, but I'll mention them again. Sledgehammer, In Your Eyes, Don't Give Up, Big Time, and Red Rain. Not sure which one of those songs is my favorite, but he also had really good videos too. Like he was pretty, he was very creative. I think ahead of his time, if you ask me. So The Sledgehammer music video is always like listed in the, as one of the greatest videos, right? Because it was way ahead of its time, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I couldn't uh, not include this album on my list. My favorite song on the album is That Voice Again. You know this song? Yes, Anyways, yes, I do, of course. That's, that's my favorite. Although, I mean, Red Rain and In Your Eyes, these are great songs. The only, sometimes, you know how it goes, right? Sometimes when a song is too popular, you like it less, right? (laughs) Of course, of course. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, so number three, it's not going to be a surprise to you, but maybe that it's going to be a surprise to you that it made it this high for me. And that's Blue Rodeo and the album's Outskirts, which came out in 1987. This is their debut album. Like, Blue Rodeo has like, I don't know how many albums after this, 20? Like, I don't know, like... <laughs> Who knows, right? I think they're still recording right now today. Exactly, right? So, I mean, it's just a fantastic album. It's always underrated in the Blue Rodeo catalog um, with songs like Outskirts, Rose Colored Glasses, Heart Like Mine. These are songs that I always wanted to make sure they played when I saw them in concert, and they usually did. And then, of course, the song Try. I mean, if anybody hasn't ever heard Try, <laughs> when you hear Jim Cuddy sing this song, like, you you will stop what you're doing and say, who the hell is this guy? And how the hell does he sing so well, (laughs) right? Don't tell me I'm wrong Cause I've been watching every move that you make Hold your steel And you make up the heels Trouble for the man that you take Every time you walk in the room, I could ever be sure of a smile. Yeah, that's a great song and a great choice. I do like that band and I do like that album. Uh, I, I read a quote researching this morning. So on the 30th anniversary of the album, Jim Cuddy posted the following message on the band's website. He said, the record came out to a deafening silence. Not a single radio station played the first single outskirts. We sold 5,000 records, which we thought was amazing, but we're told by the record company we'd be dropped if nothing else happened. (laughs) And then he goes on to say, so much has happened since, but I hold on to the feelings from those early days. You know, like they're, 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 they're an incredible Canadian band. I know people outside of Canada probably don't even know who the hell we're talking about. Um, but you can go and listen to Blue Rodeo and just get lost in their music catalog. They're they're fantastic. 
Number two. So similarly, how you said you might, I might be surprised that they were number, what was it, three on your list? Yeah. So you might be surprised that this is number two on my list. It's another Australian band. It's Crowded House, and it's their self-titled album called Crowded House. So it's a good pick. I loved this at the time. I remember in high school, I couldn't get enough of this cassette, and I listened to it. I don't know how many times. Um, now, two of the members are from New Zealand, so I know there's going to be people out there who are going to correct me. But the band was actually formed in Australia. So mm-hmm. this album was released in 1986, and some of the amazing songs on the album are. Don't Dream It's Over, Something So Strong, Mean to Me, World Where You Live, Now We're Getting Somewhere. They're a tremendous band. The tremendous album. Yes. And they were great. They were also like a great band synonymous with the 80s, right? I mean, this is it. You know? And then, you know, the guitar at the beginning of Something So Strong, it's similar. I mean, obviously completely different from you too. But when you hear the first riff of that guitar, you know exactly what song it is and you just let it play. Yeah, beautiful. I love the way you said that. It's great. All right, number two for me, Josh. It's one of the first 10 CDs maybe that I ever bought, I think. And that's Robbie Robertson, self-titled album that came out in 1987. It's called Robbie Robertson. Um, it's actually his um, his debut album as a solo artist. Like He took this huge break between the, the dissolution of the band <laughs> and this, which came out in 87. Um, and it won the Juno Award for Album of the Year that year. Juno Award, by the way, people, is the Canadian Music Awards. Um, there's appearances on the album by Peter Gabriel and U2, who we mentioned. And everybody knows this, the album because of the song um, Somewhere Down the Crazy River. Like, that song was played everywhere on the radio. That's my least favorite song on the album by a mile and a half. Like, not even close. Like, I, I, when I sit, you know when I say you need to listen to the album from start to finish? Uh-huh. Without skipping, but this this song this song I skip on purpose, and I'll just listen to all the rest. Right? Nice. Um, it's just oh, it's so beautiful. It's powerful. He, he has a his own style of singing. With you know, he's not a great singer, but he he gets the most out of his voice to perfectly accompany like the feeling he's trying to convey with the way the music is. Um, it's like it's still one of these albums that I can go back to over and over and listen to. Like I was listening to it all morning while I was doing my research. I just had it going on repeat. You know, before I get to my next album, if we had to do our favorite albums of this current decade, I could not do it because I don't even know if albums are created anymore. I just hear like a band will release one song here and then another song there and they're all just singles. And I don't even know if they're all ever put onto one album anymore. I I, I don't even know. Well, 
well, certainly album rock is a thing of the past, right? Like, first of all, rock is kind of (laughs) dead. Like, it's just not, it's just not popular. There's not as many rock artists. Like, the music we like is harder to find. You know, you you listen to alternative music, you find albums and, and musicians that I don't know. So maybe you, you, you have like a, an edge there, but yeah, it's albums is really like a thing of the past. Number one. So I'm at number one. Number one, number one, Josh, we made it. Right. It's no surprise. It's actually the only Canadian band on my list. Um, the Tragically Hip, Up to Here, which was released in 1989 and full disclosure, I didn't listen to this album in 1989. I only discovered it, you know, in 1990 or maybe even later. But now, if you're asking me today, this is one of, you know, because it's technically an 80s album, this is my favorite 80s album because it's Mm -hmm. got iconic songs such as Blow It High Doe and New Orleans is Sinking. But even better than that, if you've listened to the whole thing, you know there's Boots or Hearts and 38 Years Old and other amazing songs on this album that I'm not going to list them all. So, and this could be if not the best Tragically Hip album, it's top two. They shot a movie once In my hometown Everybody was in it For miles around Speedway, some kind of this thing. Well, I ain't no movie star, but I can get behind anything. Yeah, I can get behind anything. Well, we maybe we'll do an episode in on my, our- in my opinion. Yeah, well, then you're entitled to your opinion. I mean, Road Apples is so strong. Right. And Road then, Apples course, is the other um, one. Yeah, and no, and then the one that kind of was really, really popular, uh, what was the I don't Full, even remember the Fully name Completely video. is what you're fully thinking. Fully Completely. But I'm not, yeah, I'm, not I'm not as big a fan of Fully Completely as as everyone else is. I mean, look, I mean, the songs you named, like Blow It High Doe. Come on. 38 years old, like these are <laughs> like I, it's very hard to argue but look I, t- I i knew at the beginning this was going to be on your list of course i, I didn't necessarily know it was going to be number one but i knew it was going to be on your list so look and i didn't know that it was going to be number one on my list either until i went through the list like it wasn't like mm-hmm. it was a uh you mm-hmm. know a shoe-in or anything right so number one for me i don't know can you guess like i have no way of guessing yeah, it's tough. You're never, you would never, I could probably give you 10 guesses. And Already you've had a few on your list that I wouldn't have guessed. So, you know. This is going to be in that category. And it's The Smiths, The Queen is Dead. Ooh, I'm very surprised. I didn't even know you were a big Smiths fan. <laughs> it may be one of the best albums of all time. Uh, it's certainly the best Smiths album, like start to finish. The Smiths are a weird band because, well, this album came out in 86. And it, um, I believe it was their third album. They only have four albums, by the way. <laughs> okay. But they have only have four albums, but they have like a million like compilations and B-sides. And there's like the Swift, the Smiths have like a really kind of weird catalog in terms of like where you find all the songs. Look, I told you that I wanted song albums that I love then and that I love now. So clearly I still love the Smiths now. I listen to the Smiths all the time. 
did I discover this album in 1986 when it came out? Absolutely not. I I got I discovered the Smiths a little bit later, probably in like 88. You know, like uh, a friend introduced me to the Smiths music and then I started delving into it and listening to it all. And like this album's by far like start to finish the most complete, you know. Um, in 2020, Rolling Stone ranked The Queen is Dead as the 113th greatest album of all time, which you know, doesn't sound like much, but it's in the top, you know, 113. But <laughs> but um, the British um, music publication New Music Express, which is huge in England, ranked The Queen is Dead as the greatest album of all time. So I'm like, I feel like vindicated when I read that, you know. It's funny, I was going to ask you if you, if you looked into the NME magazine, because that's, <laughs> that's the true definition of how good yeah. the album is. Well, I mean, NME has a little bit of skin in the game when it comes to the Smiths. Like, like the NME kind of made the Smiths in a sense, right? Like at the time, right? They were like promoting them and they were on the covers and writing. And like, that's how the Smiths got known, like because of this, this publication, you know? Um, so just like you said, um, the guitar riff uh, for Where the Streets Have No Name or for Crowded House, right? Like, you know the song instantly. Now, maybe you don't know the song instantly, but like there's a drum, there's a drum solo at the start of the song, The Queen is Dead, which is at the start of the album, which is really like sets the tone for the whole thing. There's other songs, very, very known Smith songs. I know it's over. Big Mouth Strikes Again, which is a very well-known song. And the song called uh, There Is A Light That Never Goes Out, which is maybe the best Smith song up for debate. But anyways, so yeah, you didn't know it was such a big Smith song. I know everything about the Smiths. No, I didn't know that you were. I had no idea. <laughs> but that's a great pick. Um, there was a movie. There's a movie that came out this year. Uh, well, this year, 2021. Um which is uh, it's called Shoplifters of the World Unite, which is a Smiths song. Like that's the name of the song, but that's what the movie's called. And it's like about these teenagers in a small town in Colorado. And it's it's just like a coming of age story. And it's all the Smiths music is in it. Now, I, I had to really find this movie to download it. Like it wasn't in the theaters. It's not on any streaming service. Like I, I had to like really seek it out in order to watch it. Um, It's not a great movie, but the way the music is is presented is still quite amazing. I like, I loved it just for the music. Excellent. So that's, that's the top albums of the eighties, our favorite albums of the eighties. I just want to recap my list quickly here. I don't know if you mm -hmm. noticed, you probably didn't cause you weren't writing it down, but mm -hmm. of my top seven, I have one Canadian artist, one Irish artist, two British artists and three Australian artists and zero American artists. I love it. So you should really be, you're really representing the Commonwealth. You know, like, yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. You're really representing all of the British empire. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. Whatever that means. No, that's actually pretty interesting. You know, well, I mean, Australian music and British music, obviously in the eighties, Australian music really reached a peak of popularity, crowded house, like you said, and in excess, that's huge. Right. I mean, you didn't even put midnight oil in your list. I know you're a huge midnight oil fan. You had right. them in their honorable, in, in your honorable mentions. I was expecting it to make an appearance, but I did um, go see midnight oil live at the forum in Montreal. 
Wow, that's really great. I love it. The Skip and Josh podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts. If you listen to the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. To interact with the show, send an email to skipandjoshshow at gmail.com. Follow the show on Twitter and go to Facebook to like the show page. And now for some final thoughts from the guys. So, Josh, you have anything to end the show with? I have like a fairly long list of possible things I could talk about, but go ahead. I'll pick one. Why don't, why don't you start? I want to talk to you about a podcast that I was that I listened to this week. Okay. It's a food podcast. You love food. <laughs> I do love food, but food podcast is a difficult thing, right? Like the Food Network, like TV shows about food is 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 popular because you see the food that's so visual. It's like, wow, I want to eat that, right? But you can't do that. Like food and podcast doesn't, audio podcast doesn't go, right? You're right. It doesn't. Yeah. So there's a podcast called The Sporkful. It's a food podcast. It's, uh, I believe the name of the host is Dan Pashman. And there's many episodes of The Sporkful. I just discovered it by accident. But there's a section of episodes, like he has five episodes in a row, and then there's a bonus six and a bonus seven called Mission Impossible, where he he's he has this idea that he's going to create a new pasta shape. <laughs> okay. Okay. I guess that's possible. Everybody knows spaghetti, rigatoni, penne, right? These are all like pasta shapes, right? And... He, he explains, like, the history of pasta shapes, the categories of pasta shapes, what makes a great pasta shape. He has three criteria. I won't tell you what they are. Um, how pasta is made. Like, the, the, it's just, it blew my mind. And me and my wife listened to this every night. It was incredibly fascinating. And he's on the road to create, well, I mean, I don't want to give you spoilers, but I could. Um, like, he's trying to create, like, a new pasta shape. And you want to find out if he ever is able to do it. And you have to listen to find out. That's quite interesting. There are lots of shapes that haven't been used yet, so he should be able to do it. Yeah, but you'd you'd be surprised how hard it is. <laughs> I can imagine. I can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you how it's going with the final season of This Is Us. Oh, uh, well, I mean... You're the only person I know that watches the show, and I know you're pretty passionate about it, but, like, is it good? So, yes, it's a good show, and I do like it. Um, it's not obviously on Netflix or anything, so I can't binge it. So I have to wait, you know, a week to see the next episode all the time. It only started in January, so it didn't start in the fall like most shows do. Um, but the thing is, the way the show is, you I guess you've never seen an episode, they often flash forward and flash back. So you sort of know how it's going to end because they've already flashed forward to the, I guess, the last episode. They did this, you know, a couple seasons ago, actually. So you sort mm -hmm. of know how it's going to end already. You just don't know how how they get there. So right. it is quite interesting. And yeah, I do like, uh, in fact, the last episode I just saw was, you know, could have been one of the best episodes they've ever had. That's great because I saw someone put on Twitter that like they thought that the new season was really boring. And I was like, oh, I'm going to ask Josh about this if what he thinks. But obviously you feel otherwise. Like, Well, I cool. mean, you know, I mean, again, you haven't seen the show and I guess I'm spoiling it for people who haven't watched yet, but um, one of the main characters, the father, he died a few seasons ago in a fire in their house. Okay. Right. So, but he's still on the show because they often flash back to before he died. And so wow. the most recent episode was the episode where his mother dies and his mother has never been on the show that I can recall until this episode. 
So. Oh, so, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So, have you played Wordle? Oh, freaking Wordle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a note here, Wordle, question mark. Like, should I talk about it? So, the, here's the thing with Wordle. Yeah. All the you, all of a sudden, like on Facebook, on my Facebook feed, I start seeing people posting these things about Wordle, like with their scores, you know, mm-hmm. like every game. I had no idea what the hell Wordle is. I, I, I'm like, what is this? So obviously I know it's a game. I know it's a word game because it has Wordle in the title. But like, I don't know what it is. I'm not interested in playing. I don't need to see this in my Facebook feed. Like, what, what's going on here? Then, like two days later, you text me a screenshot of your Wordle score. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Josh is not on Facebook. Josh is not on social media. How the hell does he even know about Wordle? <laughs> so as so it, then it's a very good question. You, because, exactly. So because you told me about it, and then we started talking about it, I was like, okay, I'll go see what Wordle is. So am I playing it every day? No. Did I do it this morning? Yes. <laughs> I haven't done it yet today, so don't tell me what the word is. It's like, it's it's fun. And the cool thing about Wordle is, is that it's only once a day. Like, you, you can't get addicted to it because it only comes out once a day. And the whole thing takes two minutes, right? Right. Well, actually, there have been a few times where I didn't get the word at all. And it took way more than two minutes. <laughs> yes, it can be frustrating. It's happened to me where I just, I'm like, I can't get this. So I just put the wrong answer like five times just so I could see what the answer is. Right, right, right. So here's what's interesting. So after I discovered it, and the way I discovered it was I, I was listening to CBC Radio and there was a story on all these copycat wordles, and that's how I found out about it, to answer your question. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But then when I found out about it, I started texting friends of mine, like, have you heard of this game? Do you play this game? And almost all of them have said to me, oh, yes, I've been playing this game for weeks. It's great. I love it. It's amazing. Except there's one person who I think this would be perfect for her. And when I told her about it, she wasn't really very excited about it. She was, you know, lukewarm at best. And that's your wife. Oh, yeah. Well, we well we were, we were with some friends last night and we started talking about Wordle. And she was like, okay, what is this Wordle? Like, she didn't even know what it is. Like, even when she talked with you, she's like, she had never actually seen it. So we played a game among the people who were there last night, we played a game of Wordle together on one person's phone. And she was like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, she's still lukewarm about it. I'm yeah. surprised because I think it's right up her alley. A hundred percent. I agree. I, it's something that normally she would really like. Exactly. But, but she's she she's gets really addicted to games. So I think the fact that this is only like once a day and then you turn it off, maybe that like doesn't appeal to her. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. All right. Another great episode. We, we didn't bear our souls like uh, the last two episodes where we embarrass ourselves with admissions about uh, TV and music. and music, But we certainly um, went back in time and looked at, you know, some nostalgia about our favorite albums of the 80s, which was fun. Yes, doing this episode made me realize that I need to put more 80s music on my phone is what I need to do. I think the more music you have on your phone, the better, and the more 80s music you have on your phone, the better, too. I, did, I full, wholeheartedly agree with that. Yes. So do I. All right, great talking to you, and uh, talk to you next time. Have a great week.